3: Hello and welcome in. New week of the show. Glad to have you with us for this Monday edition of the Hoosier Report. Complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a southern Indiana perspective. Obviously, we start with IU football, an opportunity to come out and I guess right the ship is the correct term after the bad loss on the road in week one to Iowa. A bounce back win over a very, very mediocre to bad Idaho team. The the chance with a sellout crowd and great weather uh, was there for IU football. And I guess the most frustrating thing for IU football fans listening had to be the way that Indiana came out and really dominated Cincinnati uh, for most of the first half. Michael Penix looked better at times, still not himself still not maybe the quarterback that we hope for even early in this season as he returns from an ACL injury but he looked better he was making some long passes down the field uh, a lot of them were not caught by Indiana even ones that maybe should have been but he was looking more normal I thought in many ways and most importantly Indiana and the defense were playing well and I thought put themselves in a position in the second half to to win the game. Cincinnati had some bad breaks as well. Their quarterback – uh, a local product. I did not realize that until the uh, television broadcast on, uh, on uh, Saturday that he's a Louisville, Kentucky native, but he seemed to be having some real issues with the pass rush uh, and the opportunity I thought was clearly there for Indiana to knock off the number eight great team uh, at home with a great crowd, an unbelievable student section crowd once again. And again, great weather, great tailgating. Uh, basically a sellout. I did see some open seats, but basically a sellout. That's what it was announced on paper, at least. Uh, and a lot of excitement around the day and around IU football still, even after a little disappointing start to the season. But Indiana couldn't close the deal. Uh, they allowed Cincinnati the chance to get back in. The targeting call on Micah McFadden. McFadden obviously, I think, opened the door uh, for some defensive weakness for Indiana and a disappointing finish to that game for Indiana. And overall, a disappointing finish to that game by Michael Penix as well. Uh, some more picks thrown in the game. Uh, not a good start to the season for him. So lots of question marks. I think it's time to reevaluate this Indiana team and whatever your expectations were for them heading into the season. I was never a guy that had them with nine or ten wins in the season. I was never a guy that had him go into some major bowl game or anything like that. But I did think that the chance for them to win seven or eight games is very possible, and that chance may still exist. But I think it is time to reevaluate wherever you started this season with your outlook for this IU football team to to temper your your thoughts and to see uh, where this team is headed because an important stretch coming up, they're on the road against Western Kentucky coming up on Saturday. Western Kentucky did lose over the weekend in just their second game of the year. They were on the road at Army and lost 38-35. So a competitive Western Kentucky team. And then after that, obviously, it's Penn State on the road. So a tough swing coming up. Obviously, Western Kentucky is a game you have to win. It's a game Indiana should win. Uh, But Penn State playing well over the weekend, getting a win at home in front of Uh, the whiteout crowd there at uh, Penn State, Happy Valley over Auburn, an SEC team for the first time, first went over an SEC team for many years, and I thought uh, the Nittany Lions looked good, so a big challenge ahead. There was once a time where you thought when you looked at Indiana's schedule that it's a tough schedule, but maybe this team can go to Penn State, they beat them at home last year, I know it took a little luck, a crazy finish to that ball game, but maybe they can go on the road and compete there and win there maybe they can go to Michigan and uh, get a victory and I think again it's possible it's college football Indiana's got some weapons Indiana's not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination but those at least my expectations for a huge season a big bowl game big wins on the road against the top tier of the Big Ten Conference, I've lost that thought, that that, those are going to happen. So we'll see how things play out. Plenty of IU football to talk about today, but a disappointing game because Indiana was in control. Indiana was dominating, I thought, uh, in the first half and things as the game wore on. Uh, just simply fell apart. Indiana did answer back in some tough moments in the second half to keep it close and to keep themselves basically right there, but just couldn't get over the hump as uh, Cincinnati improves to 3-0. and Number eight in the country, hard to believe that uh, Cincinnati – uh, number eight ranked team in the country, and 3-0 and on the season after the win in Bloomington. Also today, we'll take a look at high school football. There were some big notes locally for high school football over the weekend. Rondale Moore, a huge game for the Arizona Cardinals in his rookie season. Another example of a local product that is having success at the highest level Which is so awesome to see. We'll talk that and more today. And let's get into the show lineup a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. We'll cover those topics in the headlines coming up here in just a moment. Later in the show, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star joins. We'll break down this IU-Cincinnati game, and we'll talk about expectations for the rest of the season for this IU football program, and then finally today, Chad Gilbert, Charlestown AD, former Jeff coach. He joins us. We'll talk about high school football from Friday night, a rivalry game between Floyd Central and Jeff that the Highlanders win. New Albany gets a huge road win at Columbus East. Chad's Pirates have now won three games in a row as well. So no shortage of local things to discuss, and we'll do that with Chad when he joins us later today. That's the show lineup, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. Don't forget to check out their dinner package deals that are being offered. You can dine in, take them to go, and curbside service still available as well at Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. couple reminders. uh, Love to hear from you. Send your questions, your thoughts, especially uh, curious your thoughts on expectations now uh, for this Indiana football team. You can tweet me at HoosierHills.com all one word Hoosier Hills on Twitter. You can also uh, send me an email. The address is Hoosier report at gmail.com again, Hoosier report at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and we'll share your thoughts, work them into the questions and, Uh, subjects as we have guests with us today on the program. All right, Zaxby's headlines, a summary of the day's top IU and Southern Indiana sports news. Uh, We've talked IU. We're going to talk more IU football, so I'm going to start the headlines today with high school football from Friday night. Biggest win of week five as the high school football season is dissipating quickly. New Albany ends an 18-game losing streak to Hoosier Hills Conference member Columbus East. The Olympians were defeated a few weeks ago by Seymour. Uh, First year coach Eddie Vogel taking over for the legendary Bob Gaddis at Columbus East. That loss to Seymour for me was an eye-opener that, okay, it was kind of a fluky finish to the game, but maybe this Columbus East team can be defeated by New Albany or one of our local teams in the HHC this season. Uh, How about this? At halftime, the score Friday night, that New Albany-Columbus East game, it was Columbus East uh, 35-28 at halftime. 35-28, a ton of points scored in the first half. In the second half of play, uh, New Albany's defense was able to hold Columbus East to just three points, and New Albany was able to score two touchdowns in the second half, which was the difference in a 42-38 win for Steve Cooley's New Albany team. First win by New Albany over Columbus East in football since 2002. I was a senior in high school that year when New Albany last defeated Columbus East and first win. I did not realize this first win for New Albany on Columbus East Field. So, an away game, a home game, or I should say at Columbus East since 1998. So, uh, crazy streaks that Columbus East has owned, not just over New Albany and the Hoosier Hills Conference, but that includes our local teams, Jeff and Floyd Central as well. Maybe the tide is beginning to turn there. We will see how things go. Also, a big rivalry game on Friday night. And it was probably the most exciting game in southern Indiana. Uh, Floyd Central at Jeff. It was 0-0, a scoreless deadlock at halftime. It was a 6-6 tie at the end of the third period. Floyd Central would go on to score twice in the fourth quarter and win by a score of 2013 13 over Jeffersonville so a good game a competitive game both of those teams desperately needing a victory Floyd Central gets their first win of the year in week five of high school football and it's not because yeah they're rebuilding yeah they lost a lot from last year their schedule This year, especially those first two or three weeks, have been just unbelievably tough. So Floyd Central gets a big win at Jeff. Charlestown has now won three straight. They defeated Providence 37-21. Were able to hold off the Pioneers in the second half on Friday night. A couple other results around the area. Uh, Silver Creek gets a nice win on the road, 40-28 at previously undefeated Scottsburg. Kudos to Scottsburg football for how their program is building. It's a newer varsity program since the return of football in Scottsburg, and they're having a great season and play tough against a very solid Silver Creek team, LaShawn Mays and Trey Shane. They combined for 264 rushing yards and five touchdowns to lead the Silver Creek attack, 40-28, so a 12-point win for Silver Creek on Friday night. Also, Salem defeated uh, Clarksville. Uh, 48-13, not a close game. We knew that Rock Creek would have a very tough game on the road at North Davies. They're a very good small school football program, and the final score indicated that struggle, 72-0 the final in that game. and That's high school football for Week 5. We're going to be thinking about the postseason soon. We're going to be looking at some of these conference races in the Mid-Southern and the Hoosier Hills Conference very soon. We've got obviously teams in both conferences, Silver Creek and the MFC that has to to win that one and could be in the driver's seat for that. Uh, Also, New Albany now puts themselves in a pretty good situation in the Hoosier Hills Conference. Sectional pairings will be out before you know it, and it's just hard to believe we're that part on the back half now uh, of the regular football season here in Southern Indiana. Also, uh, Rondale Moore for the Arizona Cardinals. He's the latest local guy to stand out at the professional level. He was awesome on Sunday for the Arizona Cardinals. He had seven catches for 114 yards. Arizona, a uh, 34-33 victory over the Minnesota Vikings. I think the Vikings missed like a was it a 33 or 35-yard field goal to win that contest. Uh, But a great performance for Moore. He has this season, if you're tallying things up, he's got 11 receptions on 13 targets for 182 yards, one touchdown, which came yesterday for Rondale Moore. Arizona now 2-0. They will visit Jacksonville on this coming Sunday. Exciting, exciting to see uh, Rondale take uh, hold in Arizona Uh, and get some real opportunity for them. So it doesn't matter here locally if it's the NFL, the NBA, or the Major League uh, Baseball leagues. We've got you covered with local products here that are going on to have success. These guys aren't just getting opportunities to be on the roster and to get paid. They're getting opportunities to be starters and to be a starting pitcher, as in Josh Rogers and Drew Ellis getting starts at third base for the Diamondbacks. And, of course, Romeo Langford. his role this summer with the Celtics would indicate that maybe he's got a chance to contribute more and get uh, many more minutes than what he's had so far. Knock on wood that he remains healthy. So just an exciting time to follow all of that and uh, a lot of fun to see what happens with Rondale here in this NFL season uh, coming up that's just freshly started. Also, I wanted to mention this. I think I've, I've brought this up before, and I'm sure it'll come up again. Uh, loved what UofL did over the weekend. They have had Louisville Live, which is their rendition of IU's Old Midnight Madness, which we now refer to as Hoosier Hysteria. Uh, I know Indiana, the tradition is there. Assembly Hall indicates that the basketball season is just around the corner, so why not have everybody in assembly for Hoosier Hysteria? But sometimes thinking outside of the box is really cool. And I went one time to 4th Street Live when Louisville had the, uh, I guess it's a half court set up down at 4th Street uh, for uh, the uh, Louisville Live event where it's, you know, three-point shooting contest, dunk contest. They don't scrimmage or do anything like that, which is a drawback. I think that's always, even though it's brief, and some years really brief at Hoosier Hysteria, uh, always fun to see the team get some run up and down. This year, they moved the court to Churchill Downs and paired it with Downs after dark. And I was reading a story this morning from Eric Crawford of WDRB, who's obviously been in Louisville covering sports and horse racing and U L basketball forever. He said all the times that he's been at Churchill Downs, the paddock area, which is basically where the court, I understand, was set up on Saturday night, has never been more crowded, more packed with fans. And they had to pause the event for a few minutes occasionally to get the horses from the paddock to the track. Uh, but really neat. Plus, they honored one of their former national championship teams, the 1986 Louisville team, but uh, the pictures from there were awesome. You want to talk about a neat recruiting opportunity. Caleb Glenn of Louisville Mail was at the event. He's the, obviously a big target for IU. Mike Woodson and the entire staff were at Mail High School last week to watch him play, but uh, thinking outside of the box, Louisville has their share of issues. There's no question about that with athletics at U L. but uh, definitely a pretty cool environment, a pretty cool scene from the pictures I saw and from a few people I know that were there. Pretty neat uh, to kick off the season and pair it with a tradition in Louisville uh, at Churchill Downs like horse racing. So, again, I don't think we'll ever see anything outdoors or super creative when it comes to Hoosier Hysteria. Indiana is such a traditional program, and I know that there are arguments for and against some of the old traditions sometime. But I just think with Hoosier hysteria in Assembly Hall, it would be so different, so weird for it not to be held there. But in a situation, a city like Louisville, maybe it makes sense. So kudos to them. We'll head to a commercial break. Those are Zaxby's headlines for this Monday edition of the program. Lots of IU football discussion coming up next. We'll talk about the loss, about uh, Michael Penix and his performance about targeting in college football. I want to bring that up with Zach as well. Targeting and long, long commercial breaks. I've watched more college football this season, uh, Big Ten games, other local teams play than I ever have. These college uh, uh, football games, some of these media timeouts are ridiculously long. But we'll talk targeting uh, much more. What's ahead for IU football as well with Zach. Stay with us where you're home for the Hoosiers and complete coverage of Southern Indiana sports. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison.
0: All right, we're back here on
3: this Monday edition of the program, and obviously we're going to continue talking IU football to start with Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. Zach, you you wrote about this, one of your pieces after the game on Saturday. Uh, Is it time to really take a hard look at this IU football team this season and readjust expectations because everyone came in, media, coaches, poll voters, uh, everyone came in with Huge expectations that this could just be almost a historic-like season in Bloomington, but so far with some of the uh, losses and really just some of the play makes you wonder where this thing is headed this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a question of basically sort of where you did set expectations in the preseason. I mean, it, it, you know, I think you and I had this conversation. I, I know I had it with others. Um, I thought this was a seven and five eight and four football team I thought it was a good football team that was just going to deal with a difficult schedule um, and I think it could still be those things I think it, you know I think it could still be somewhere between seven and eight wins that's where Vegas had the over under um, and to be fair to a lot of IU fans I talked to I think they would have seen eight and four given the schedule and everything else as a good season I think they hoped it could be better but they would have seen eight and four as a a good, solid sort of season of consolidation. I think the issue isn't so much that Indiana lost these two games. You know, that we were all saying in the preseason Indiana could play well in its first five weeks and still come out of it two and three. I think the issue is more that, that we haven't seen Indiana play well. And, and we've seen Indiana kind of go up against teams that we thought would be more peers to Indiana uh, and really not look like it for too long, too sustained stretches of. Time, and when you kind of couple that to the fact that the road is getting more difficult for Indiana Rutgers is three and zero. Michigan State's a lot better than we thought they were. Purdue might be better than we thought they were. Obviously David Bell's status pending. It, it's just it's it sort of it feels like Indiana's lowering a little bit, and the road is rising to meet them. And um, I don't think Indiana is going to go three and nine or anything like that. I think that this team should still very much see itself in the bowl picture. But I think that maybe we at very least, you know, IU fans probably need to let go of, of any dream they had of this team winning nine or ten games. It it just doesn't look
3: capable of that. And Zach, you wrote something very similar to what I'm getting ready to say. There was a time where when you looked at this difficult IU football schedule, you thought, man, could could Indiana be capable of going to Penn State and and beating the Nittany Lions? And could they win at Michigan? And and that's obviously who knows what what could happen. Those are still possibilities, I guess. But you mentioned some of the other Big Ten teams that are playing better than expected. Michigan State at home and Purdue on the road later in the season. Uh, Instead of getting to a a Florida Bowl or a post-New Year Bowl, maybe just getting bowl-eligible Appears to be the goal or the 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 opportunity at this point. Again, there's still a ton of football to be played, but those are things that at one time were hopes, possibilities, and you know, based on all the hype around this team and what we saw last season and returning players and coming into the, to the program from the transfer portal, uh, it seemed like maybe somewhat realistic that those dreams could be possibilities. But it just after three weeks doesn't seem like. Uh, that those are f- op- real opportunities at this point?
1: No, I mean, it, it doesn't. Right? And as you said, things can change. You know, teams will improve over the course of the season. What's funny about Saturday's loss is I think that the, the reason Indiana fans should have to be most frustrated is I actually thought Indiana played very well for a, large portions of it. Um, in the 80% of the game, I thought Indiana was doing a lot of really good things, really encouraging things. You saw Better performances from individual players. I thought offensive you know, play calling and game planning was better. Obviously, the defense was very, very good in the first half. But the 20% that, that was bad was just kind of disastrous. The turnovers, the penalties, the drops, um, you know, the, the wasted red zone possessions. And the, the 20% wound up being so impactful that it, it outweighed the, the 80%, if you will, And I think that will only make a a loss like Saturday more frustrating. Now, if maybe that
2: 80%
1: was Indiana finding its feet, finding its rhythm, finding its best self, well, then, you know, maybe that's reflected in the next few weeks. Maybe Indiana does beat Michigan State at home. Maybe they find a way to upset Ohio State at home or something like that. Obviously, Ohio State doesn't look like a world-beater at the moment. But... From what we have right now, you know, what we can say right now, it does look like it's going to be more difficult for Indiana to realize its ambitions, its preseason ambitions than we thought it was going to be on, let's say, October or uh, August 1st. And that's why, for the moment anyway, expectations probably do need to be adjusted.
3: Yeah, Zach in the Indianapolis star. Let's dive a little bit more into some of the specifics from, from the loss on Saturday to Cincinnati. We, we've got to start again when you talk specifics with Michael Penix. I thought at times, uh, and again, you mentioned IU as a whole for a great portion of that game, played very well, I thought, but I thought at times Penix was that exciting quarterback that we remembered from last season. Uh, He had the long arm. He was making some big-time passes down the field. Some were caught, some were not uh, by the IU receivers. But uh, at times he looked better, and at times there were still great concerns. Is this the same guy that we uh, Mm -hmm. saw healthy last year and what exactly is going on with him? So after the loss, and I think this came up to Coach Allen in the press conference, is it time for there to be some consideration by the coaching staff about – a QB change? Is it time to bring in Jack Tuttle as the starting quarterback? What, what, your, your thoughts just on Pennix, Tuttle, and the quarterback situation after three IU football games? Yeah,
1: I guess working backwards, unless Pennix has some sort of long-term concern and he was apparently getting x-rays Saturday, that's why we didn't talk to him. We, we won't talk to him today on Monday. Traditionally, Indiana puts its starting quarterback at the podium at its Monday press conference. He will not be available I do expect Tom Allen to address his status, but um, healthy, I don't think it's time. And I know it's really easy for people, number one, to look at the backup quarterback who they haven't seen make any mistakes and say, well, he must be better. He must be, you know, his his play must be cleaner, he must be uh, smoother or, or more confident or whatever else. You know, that without wanting to do Jack Tuttle down, I think he's a really good player. There's a reason, though, why he's, Still the number two and Michael Penix is the number one. The other thing I would say, and I said this on our podcast last night, there's a lot more that goes into this kind of consideration than just sheer talent plus performance. Michael Penix is a team captain. He's a respected leader. He's a guy who is very popular in that locker room. I mean, he's a player who for two years beat out a quarterback that I guess really more like one year because Peyton Ramsey obviously transferred. But he's a player who for you know, in, in twenty nineteen beat out a quarterback who's among the most respected I football players I think I've ever covered. A quarterback that wound up basically captaining Indiana to the Gator Bowl and then winning the Big Ten West with Northwestern and Peyton Ramsey. And Michael Penix beat him out and his and his teammates trusted him and respected him at a level that that allowed that to be possible. You yank him out here, you send all sorts of bad messages
2: to your locker
1: room. All you risk all kinds of culture problems and, and, you know, sort of disunity and lack of cohesion. Not that players would turn on one another, but more that they would essentially basically ask how much can they trust their coaching staff's decisions. Players are going to see that as reactionary, I I suspect. And particularly after Saturday, because you're right, I I thought that was his best performance. Now, he threw for 224 yards, he was 17 to 40, and he threw three picks. So let's not dress it up as something it's not. But I thought he was a lot more authoritative in the pocket. I thought he was a lot more comfortable in the pocket. I thought that his picks were bad decisions rather than the product of him just being overwhelmed. I thought he looked overwhelmed against Iowa. He just was not ready for a game of that speed and physicality and magnitude. He, just, he clearly just wasn't. Um, two of his three picks on Saturday were just the classic sort of quarterback trying to do too much. He just needed to eat the ball and take a sack. He tried to do something else, and he paid for it. The third was just an underthrow. It was actually a, a good good route call, a good play call, good concept. If he'd thrown it right, Hendr, Peyton Hendershot might have grabbed it for a touchdown. But, you know, he, he still also had some moments where you felt like you saw the old Michael Pennings. the way he delivered the ball. Quite frankly, his receivers really kind of did not help him with some drops, not least among them Ty Freifogel, who's a preseason All-American, was so good last season he was Big Ten receiver of the year in 2020 and probably dropped three or four three or four passes that i I don't know if you would call them you know imminently catchable a couple of them were but certainly they're the kinds of plays that if you're going to beat a team like cincinnati your best players need to make they're the kinds of plays that are that are straightforward enough that a player of high five level caliber needs to needs to make make that catch and um i think that's not really singling him out over Penix. It's more just a reminder that this is kind of a loss that everybody needs to share the blame for a little bit. And I really don't, I personally, I do not think it is time to pull Penix out now. If we're still having these conversations in a couple of weeks, then maybe. Um, and you, you know, then, then maybe you consider it before you hit that relatively easier back half of the schedule. But at the moment, I, I, I think it would send a lot of bad messages if you pulled
3: Penix out. Zach, another, I thought, turning point in the game very obviously was uh, Micah McFadden when he was uh, called for targeting. He's a captain on this football team. He's an All-American linebacker for IU. You know, I I guess obviously it had an effect on things. There's no question about it. It seemed to be a real turning point for the Cincinnati offense. So obviously we'll talk about that. But One other thing, and I'm not a football guy. I'm a basketball person. I think anyone that listens to this show on a daily basis, my knowledge, my insight, whatever I may offer, uh, in addition to to great knowledgeable guests like yourself, is mainly basketball. But I've watched more college football this year in the first three weeks of the season than I probably ever have Outside of Indiana, I've watched a lot of the local teams here, Louisville and Kentucky, when I can. I've watched a lot of other Big Ten games and, of course, some of the primetime Saturday night, the other big matchups so far this season. Targeting has greatly, greatly affected so many of the games uh, that I have watched, whether it's a team I know a lot about or a team I know very little about. It's clear to see that targeting – uh, has and it doesn't seem coaches and so many others are in favor and I get targeting, I get protecting players when I look into football and I think about high school football in our state at times, I believe I think I'm safe to say this, numbers participation numbers in youth football middle school football, high school football have went down, uh, so I know you've got to make the game safe and obviously we all respect that, we all want that we all want a long future for uh, such an American tradition like football, but I'm curious how you thought that call affected the game on Saturday against Micah McFadden, and then kind of maybe speak generally to what I brought up—that targeting really is a critical uh, piece of college football and really has the opportunity to affect games in a great, great way. Yeah, I mean to, to kind
1: of address Indiana's first—it was obviously a, a very bad break. I mean, it 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 really probably was targeting in, in the you know in the spirit of the rule. I don't think there was much Micah McFadden could have done to avoid it. Um, but to be very fair, there are lots of penalties or fouls in, in basketball that, that are called that can't necessarily be avoided, and that doesn't mean that they're not fouls. That doesn't mean they're not penalties. And it obviously did change that game. I think Cincinnati had 56 total yards of offense um, before that that play. I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but somebody ran the numbers. Andy Whittree ran the numbers. For Crimson Quarry, uh, only about 8% of Cincinnati snaps to that point in the game were resulting in a first down or a touchdown. Um, And after McFadden left, that number shot north of 40%. And you can talk about all the things that Indiana did wrong. You can talk about all the things Indiana could have done better. That can all be true. And then at the same time, frankly, it can also be true that if Indiana – If that had not happened, Indiana was in all likelihood on track to be up somewhere between 17 and 21 points, having shut Cincinnati out completely in the first half with, I mean, just complete control of the game on both sides of the ball, dominating game plan. There's a very good chance Indiana wins that game and and possibly wins it comfortably. And you can see just how important a player like Michael McFadden is to Indiana when they lose him. I get the conversations about targeting and and I kind of, you know, went in my fields on this on Twitter a little bit Saturday night. There was another, there was another fairly controversial targeting call in the Auburn Penn State game. Um, The issue with targeting and I'll, I'll credit Ralph Russo, the AP college football writer on this. Most penalties are not punitive. Most penalties are procedural holding false start offside illegal formation you know, ineligible player downfield, those are not punitive penalties, that they're procedural penalties. They're meant to punish procedural mistakes. Punitive penalties in football are typically meant to stamp out some sort of behavior. The example Ralph used in a Twitter thread a couple weeks ago was face mask. And there used to be a five-yard face mask penalty for inadvertent and a 15-yard face mask penalty for intentional. And what basically football authorities were finding was that too often face masks were being whistled for the five the five yard variety even when they were pretty clearly 15 yards and it was because officials didn't want to feel like they'd inserted themselves into the game they didn't want it to greatly affect the outcome of drives and therefore games and there's a human nature not to to want to not be overly punitive the problem is that the face mask penalty exists to eliminate a dangerous behavior, which is grabbing somebody by their head effectively and wrenching them around back and forth, risking head and neck injuries, targeting the same way. And I know there have been a lot of calls for a targeting one and a targeting two. And I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if we get to that point at some point in the not so distant future in football, I think the trickiness is targeting needs to be punitive. It needs to carry a significant punishment. Because it needs to stamp out dangerous play on the field, and I think it actually has. You've seen a lot more emphasis on better tackling, form tackling, rugby tackling. There's been a, a much greater emphasis on basically just being, you know, being safer on the football field. The problem is, and, and numbers I've seen anyway have suggested there are fewer head, and neck injuries and things like that. The problem is that when there's a controversial targeting call that changes the course of a big game on a Saturday, you can't pull out a packet of you know a packet of statistical data that says yeah oh, but see it's working because of these numbers x y and z it, it, it's a total it's the classic macro micro argument and i just don't i don't know that i know exactly how you fix that um I, I i again i suspect at some point we will get a targeting one targeting two type situation i don't think anything's actively in the works right now i just wouldn't be surprised but the problem you're going to have is you're going to be asking referees to judge intent. You're going to be asking referees to basically judge what was in someone's mind. And we've already seen with a penalty of similar purpose that that can be very difficult for them to do. And that can wind up sort of softening or cheapening the purpose of the rule. And I think that's tricky. And so what I'm saying is I agree that it's, in theory the rule's great. In practice it's causing a lot of problems. I also don't have a better solution, and I think for the moment it's still doing more harm than good across football in general. There might come a point where we hit negative returns with it, and we'll have to reevaluate it then. But for the moment, as controversial as it is, I don't have a better
3: solution. Yeah, absolutely. Zach Osterman, the Indianapolis Star. Zach, great coverage from you and Dustin this weekend. I have a feeling with the issues with IU football and the upcoming games and stretch for this team that's going to be so important we could probably have a discussion about this team and where things stand over the course of the entire show but we'll catch you again next monday thanks for the insight and talk to you soon
1: absolutely thanks for having me as always
3: overall for the big 10 conference as far as the weekend goes penn state a highlight number 10 ranked penn state a winner 28 20 over number 22 auburn What a neat environment. A whiteout at home. Love to to be uh, at Penn State for one of those whiteout games. Also, a highlight for the Big Ten Conference is Michigan State. Uh, They won 38 17 over number 24 ranked Miami of Florida. And Michigan State has kind of been a surprise as far as Big Ten Conference football. Uh, teams go so far this year Michigan an easy win over Northern Illinois 63-10 Minnesota with a good win 30 nothing over Colorado Oklahoma was able to get past Nebraska but fairly competitive were the Huskers 23-16 in that contest and I've still got my eye on Michigan State they're number nine in the country two and one and they beat Tulsa, but didn't look outstanding. 41-20 the final score. Duke defeated Northwestern on Saturday. Maryland in a Big Ten Conference game, a winner 2017 over Illinois. And, of course, Notre Dame defeats Purdue 27-13. Really scary moment there for David Bell for Warren Central, who's been great at Purdue so far. But he's already taken to social media, reports that he's okay and looks forward to making a return. That was definitely a scary situation to see him down. We'll head to a commercial break. We're back to talk some local sports, recap what was a wild week of high school football with Chad Gilbert, Charlestown AD, after this on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison.
0: We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. Let's win this and for all the small
3: schools who never had a chance to get
0: here. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Let's win for Coach. You got us here. Here's Matt Dennison.
3: All right, back with Chad Gilbert. He's the athletic director at Charlestown High School also a former basketball coach at Jeffersonville. And before I get to Chad, I do want to pass along IU Athletics announced this morning that they are beginning the sale of the six-game mini-series tickets for the upcoming men's basketball season. And these are the tickets uh, when the students are gone during Christmas break, and I know there's a lot of excitement around Coach Woodson and IU basketball right now, so it may be a great chance if you can't get up to every game, uh, but maybe around the holidays things are a little slower, you've got some off time, maybe even – a good Christmas present for someone, uh, you can check it out at iuhoosiers.com. Includes a Big Ten game with Ohio State on January 6th and some other non-conference games as well. Definitely something to check out. I wanted to pass that along because I'm sure those will not last long. Chad is my guest, and we've got to get into football. Lots of high school stuff to unpack from over the weekend. And, Chad, it starts with New Albany going on the road to Columbus East, getting a victory, and taking command, at least at this point of the season, of the Hoosier Hills Conference race.
2: Matt, I think Coach Cooley uh, – felt like coming in, this was going to be one of his better teams at New Albany. Him being able to you know, go on the road, I think his first two were pretty tough games. And I think he's got an idea that gave him an opportunity to get his guys dialed in, get them buying into what they're going to be, because they feel like they're pretty good. Sometimes when you feel like you're going to be pretty good, you need to kind of that you know, uh, smack in the head to kind of get you back to reality. Say, hey, we got to work on these fine-tuning things. we got to work on these details. And I think having those first two games that were really, really tough for New Albany had an opportunity for those guys to get refocused, and they're putting themselves in a position of being the driver's seat for the Hoosier Hills Conference. Well, they're already in that position. They're putting themselves in a position to win it.
3: Yeah, Chad, uh, lots of other football headlines I want to quickly get to. Jeff and Floyd Central, always a rivalry game. Those two teams i always remember for how many times they played in the pandemic season a year ago. They played once as they were scheduled to play. They played a second time because it made sense. Both needed an opponent and what was a crazy year last year. Then they met in the sectional, and Floyd Central, rather Jeffersonville, got the big one in the sectional tournament, which obviously helped the Red Devils go on to be a surprise winner of the local 5A football sectional a year ago. So that series has got a lot of history, including recently, and you thought it would be a good game. Both teams struggling a bit, but Floyd Central gets it going in the fourth quarter. They scored two touchdowns to Jeff's one and went on to win it 2013 by a touchdown. Big win there for the Highlanders their first win of the season uh, against a very very difficult schedule so far
2: well you know and I think you get the nail on the head with that man a difficult schedule that get you tested get you uh ready for the sectional with a four-team sectional you know you just have to be the best team those two nights to win the sectional and if you think about that Floyd last year well, we know it was a COVID year and it was kind of crazy you just had to get games you know the old adage, it's hard to beat a team three times? I wonder if that comes into play a little bit about that. You know, if if they think hindsight on that one, maybe we shouldn't have played Jeffersonville three times. Um, but you got to give Jeffersonville and Coach Parker credit on that last year. They went in to Floyd Central and took care of business on that night and, and got that win. And that's what's so special about the Indiana tournament is it's one and done. It's not the best of seven. You don't have to be the best team you just have to be the best team on that night. So that's what gives everybody, uh, you know, uh, you hate to say all the clichés of, you know, a second season, this is a new season, whatever else. But what it does is, you know, you just got to get your guys believing in that one thing, whatever it is. And they have an opportunity to win and advance and move on. So when you're the favorite, you kind of think, "Hey, you know, we got to make sure we're on top of our game." And when you're the the underdog, it gives you a ray of hope. And I think that's why it's so important as a coach. When you're playing those teams, you have your team ready to jump out early and take control and leave no doubt.
3: Chad, if we're talking high school football in the area, teams to pay attention to or take note of, your Pirates at Charlestown, they had a big win on Friday night against Providence, 37-21, held off a late push by the Pioneers. Uh, Charlestown now 3-2. and two. They've won three games in a row after starting at Silver Creek and against always solid Brownstown team. It's always a very tough start. Coach Hawkins with Silver Creek and Brownstown right out of the gate. Two big Mid-Southern Conference opponents, always good in football. But things have went well since then, and now a big setup for Friday night. I was giving kudos to Scottsburg earlier in the show for competing with Silver Creek in a big way on Friday night. They were undefeated until the Silver Creek game on Friday night. And I forget sometimes Scottsburg hadn't had football all that long, at least the restart of the football program. So, Charlestown, Scottsburg Friday night might be where I'm Matt, Chad.
2: Well, I hope so, Matt. We'd love to have you up here. You know, the, the one thing is, let's take a step back and let's let's rewind five, six years ago when the Mid-Southern Conference redid their schedule, and that was to allow. Excuse me. <laughs> the schoolhouse. <laughs> <laughs> schoolhouse. You know, the schedule. We had to re- redo the schedule. Silver Creek in. So whenever we whenever we we did the schedule. At Charlestown, you knew week one was Silver Creek, week two was Brownstown. You knew week two was going to be just a, you know, it was going to be a tough game year out, year in, year out against Brownstown. But it was okay to play Silver Creek first because they felt like it would be a good warm-up game. Well, kudos to where Coach Pappenhouse has taking that program, you know, and even Coach Hawkins, when he went there, you could see the ball starting to roll a little bit, that That game is not a warm-up program. That's one of the premier games on your season. So we do have a tough start with Silver Creek and Brownstown. And I think Coach felt like those would be very tough games, but I felt like he felt that we would be an opportunity to win them. Now, that wasn't the case on either one. Again, that gave our guys a chance to refocus a little bit. And we'll have an opportunity with homecoming coming in against uh, Scottsburg this is our homecoming week. Kyle Mullins is a Charlestown guy. You know, a lot of respect for the job he's done at Scottsburg. Uh, he, he, like I said, he's a Charlestown guy. He's coming home. So this is always a game that I know he marks on his calendar. But, you know, Scottsburg's 4-1. This is a game that Charlestown's marked on our calendar. They beat us at Scottsburg last year. So if you don't think Coach had not have this one circled, it's going to be a tremendous night. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to see two key, two teams competing at a high level, competing with a lot of parity and a lot of sportsmanship. You know, and I think that's the one thing that both the teams, they do respect each other's program. Like I said, Kyle played through here. Coach Hawkins has been coach here, you know, 14, 15 years now that you have that as you go on and play, and I think that's something that's going to make this a special game. Of course, from an AD's perspective, you know what I'm seeing? A big gate. I'm hoping there's a big gate, (laughs) you know, this this homecoming, and and we'll all be winners then.
3: Yeah, no question. Chad Gilbert, my guest. Chad, I'm going to – there's a couple things I want to cover with you, so I'm not going to bring this up because this is a segment-long topic, but I hate to be controversial or bring up anything crazy. This is a show where we're real positive – about high school sports and things locally in southern Indiana. But when we have time in future weeks, uh, I have seen with my own two eyes at sporting events recently, I've heard from ADs and others and coaches and so forth, whether it's in the stands, on the field, on social media, just some crazy parents. And it seems like as we... I don't want to say come out of the pandemic, but as we do get back to a little bit more normalcy in the local sports world, uh, people in the stands, whether it's to a coach or even players, which is very unfortunate, or uh, to administrators, whatever, acting a little crazier than normal. So that's that's something we'll just tuck away and think about. But uh, I'm sure you've well, heard some of You know, some, you know of Matt, one thing
2: that you see that is, um, look at, you know, one thing I watch is Twitter. Look at all the fights that you see at these football games in the crowd. Nuts! You know, look it's at the scary. look at the fights you see in baseball games. You know, it, it's a matter of time before someone's in that second deck and flips over. You know, you saw that cat hanging last week, Paul. <laughs> there's there's going to be a fan hanging at some point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. stuff is scary and stuff is sad. And, and hope we can get some fan etiquette. You know, hopefully, we can get some stuff back because the thing is, is you know, you're there to, to cheer your kids, and I get it. You know, when I was when I was single, when I was coaching. uh Jeffersonville, I didn't have any kids. So I didn't see it ever through a parent's perspective. You know, now that I do have kids, I kinda see where that comes from a little bit, but it's you've got to rein that in and support your team. I mean Chad, Chad, your kid's we, we, have an opportunity. we've
3: got to tuck this one away because I want to get more into it and uh Okay, I, and we can get and we deep. I wanna, get deep. We I wanna, can wanna get preserve deep. I wanna preserve southern Indiana sports and I'm worried about some things, and we'll we'll talk about this in a future uh, uh, show, a future segment. Real quick, we have less than a minute left, but you Friday night had a chance to reunite with your Jeffersonville girls state championship team, and as we close out here, you got about 15 seconds. Tell us all about that get-together.
2: You know, it was a great job. Jeffersonville did a great job. Our sponsors did a great job with it. Mayor Mike Moore, Zaxby's as always, uh, Alan Muncy. The uh, sheriff Jamie Noel, Scotty Maples, you know or Jamie Noel, excuse me, uh, Scotty Maples. They they all did a great job of of helping us out, letting us have an opportunity to celebrate. It was good for our kids to come back and be together after ten years. You know, once we said, "Is you're, once you're a champion, you're a champion for life." And those kids really, really are.
3: Yeah, great stuff. Great to have Brooke Valentine with us last week to celebrate the ten year reunion of the Jeffersonville girls basketball team and their state championship. Chad Gilbert with me Mondays. We talk local sports, mostly positive, but we'll talk about the tough issues when needed. We'll be back with you Tuesday at 11 a.m. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison.